0: Hello and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church Podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what He wants to do
1: in your life. Who am I? Part two. Let me start with who I am not. I am not an expository preacher, nor do I feel worthy to bring a message of teaching. Who I am then is a sinner saved by grace, a man who has discovered over time God has showed me that although I am still very flawed, he can, he has, and he will continue to use me to further his kingdom. Thus, I'm here, hopefully, to be an encouragement to others. I believe with all my heart that God so loved the world that he gave us his only Son, that I will not perish but have eternal life with him, as he is stated in John 3.16. And I've been living, Romans 10.9, for 40 years, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I am saved. And why am I here? I have no idea. (laughs) I've been asking that question every single day for several weeks now. But seriously, Pastor Rick had asked me in past years a couple of different times if I would be willing to speak. But it didn't work out for one reason or another. Then a few months ago, I suggested to him I might be ready. So now must be the time. While I have delivered messages for many funerals and several other venues and opportunities to present over the years, the preparation for this message has honestly been very humbling. My experience then, or my delivery style if you will, in the past has been, let me tell you about granny or sister Tammy. Or uncles, Jim, Harry, Dick, Bill, Mike, and Danny, or stepdad, John. And while doing that, I've also always and every time delivered the same message. Not nearly as well as young artist Ann Wilson, but I've always delivered the message, let me tell you about my Jesus. Intentionally sharing what knowing Christ can do to help cope with the reality of death. And what knowing Christ can do doing life, do for you doing life so that the sting of death is not such a burden and not so great when you know the truth of Jesus. But this, this has been wow. And by the way, anybody else feeling their knees knocking? I was trying to find some pads to put here, but it didn't work out, so. (laughs) Okay, seriously. Um, But yeah, as you will see or hear rather quickly, I'm not a trained pastor, no I'm not, I'm far from it, but I'm a sinner saved by grace, still learning and growing, and trying to live more like Jesus every day. So what compelled me to speak today? What compels me to speak today and in other t- opportunities in the past, is I have a story to tell, and I want to honor and glorify Christ. Scripture answers this question, why am I here, this way. In First Peter 3.15 it says, but in your heart, revere Christ as Lord, and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks, to give the reason for the hope that you have. That is my why. For today's message, my journey begins when I was about 22. I was starting to move up the ladder early in my career at the bank. I had met and fallen in love and became engaged. But something was also missing. I was lost in grief after having lost my father to cancer at only 44. In addition to the grief, Frankly, there was a lot of regret and shame that I didn't realize how sick he was until after he was dead. As we got close to our wedding date, Carrie and I started attending this church where she had attended when she was younger and was baptized here. We were married in March and on a Sunday in April in what is now the fellowship hall, I popped up out of the pew without telling a single person, not even Carrie, and responded to the altar call. That was April. In May, I followed Jesus through the waters of baptism, and dear saints Frank and Doris Neville were part of that baptism that same day. I struggled with my new life that year, including getting caught up in an incident with some buddies back home on Labor Day weekend. One of those buddies was arrested. Somehow, someway, I escaped being arrested. I now believe that somehow it was because God had a purpose for me. And that was validated in just a few days, folks, because the then pastor of Cairo Baptist Church, Pastor Kerry Ballback, approached me and asked me to help with something called Brigade. Being called to help with Christian Service Brigade and hanging out with guys like Gary Campbell, Ron Edwards, and Dr. Pete Obregon, was a very big and significant step in my faith journey. The marriage, the response to the altar call, the baptism, and serving with Brigade all happened in 1982. And praise the Lord, Carrie and I are still married, and yes, I'm still working with Brigade. So my journey began 40 years ago when the Holy Spirit tugged a young man with no church background who was wandering aimlessly but wanting more. And he began using me almost immediately, which frankly I think is nothing short of a miracle. I'm not bragging, but hoping to be an encouragement in my time today. My hope then is that if I share a little about my journey, that others here in person or online will be encouraged to realize that as children of God, we matter, and he wants to use us, and he can use us, and he will use us if we trust him. The passage I chose as a the theme of my journey story is a familiar one to many, 1 Corinthians 13:13, 13, 13. And now these three remain faith, hope, and love but if you will, allow me to change the order, at least for today. I am a man on a journey of hope, faith, and love. I start with hope because looking back, I now believe I had hope for something better, to be better. Because my life had changed dramatically, first with the death of my father, then getting married. For me, hope was the impetus for change. What does the world say about hope? A feeling or expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. Or in the verb form, want something to happen. We put hope in our leaders. Are we on the right slide there? Yes, okay. Uh, We have hope in our leaders and no matter whether you prefer the donkey or the elephant, I gotta believe that you're somewhat disappointed in the hope that you might have there, if you're realistic. Editorial political comment, that's the last one, I promise. We put hope in jobs, a promotion, in our 401k, in our investment portfolio or our IRA. While my head and tongue might be singing, my hope is in you, Lord, the reality my, is my hope is too often in me? What does the word say about hope? The Psalms, I go there often, are full of hope. Matthew twelve twenty one says this about hope: "In His name, the nations will put their hope," which is actually a requote from Isaiah. Romans five one through five says this: "We boast in the hope in the glory of the Lord." Suffering produces, among other things, suffering produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. And back to 1 Peter 3.15, give the reason for the hope that you have. Hope is the driving force behind my journey starting many years ago through this very day. It is a desire to be better, and over time wanting to be better not because I need to or have to, but because I want to as an act of love, and to glorify God. I love the passage in Ephesians 4, 25 through 32, and I quote it or at least reference it often. It's there that I go for the Lord to guide me and speaks to the hope I have. It says, tell the truth. Don't let the devil uh, capture you in anger and control you. Work hard, give generously, especially, especially to those in need. And let my words be an encouragement. Do not bring sorrow to, the gods, to God's Holy Spirit. That one hits hard, folks, by the way you live. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harshness, slander, Instead, be kind to others, forgiving, just as God, through Christ, God has has forgiven me. So over time, my view of hope has changed. And I think this passage sums it up well, and i like to shorten it to this. My desire for hope and, and hope is to be a better man, not a bitter man. Hope then, in my view, begets faith. Complete trust or confidence in something, someone or something. That's one version. Here's another one that really took me aback. Based on spiritual apprehension rather than proof. Hmm, I wonder what that author believes in. We put our faith in all sorts of things every day. Cars, bridges, planes, trains, elevators, banks, daycares, teachers, furnaces, air conditioning. We trust in things and people all the time. And true confession, I did not trust in those flimsy music stands, so I asked Bob and Ashby to put this baby up here today, so I didn't fall over. Some of us might even trust in a rope and a harness to rappel down a 20-story building. And okay, some of you may be looking at that picture, that's me by the way, and thinking nothing about faith, but maybe stupidity comes to mind. Your call. Yes, our reason for faith can be questioned like the apparently unbelieving author who suggested proof was needed. But I, dig- I digress and I don't want to do that and you don't want me to do that. While the Holy Spirit's tug of hope led me to my first step of faith, it has been the word of God that has encouraged my faith and strengthened it to grow. And of course the Bible has a lot to say about faith and there's my mind no place better to start than Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter. It says this, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And by faith, we understand that the universe, everything around us, was formed at God's command. And I love the chronology of faith in Hebrews 11 that looks back to the Old Testament. By faith, Abel, by faith, Enoch, by faith, Noah, and Abraham, and the generations that followed Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And of course, Moses, by faith. And the Israelites at the Red Sea. Maybe they didn't have much choice, but nonetheless. When the Jericho walls fell, evidence of faith. And even Rahab the prostitute is listed in Hebrews chapter 11. And let's be real here. We can find a lot wrong with every single person mentioned in that chronology of faith. But they are listed for a reason, and that in and of itself should be a lesson for you and for me. That our past does not define our path when we have faith. As I look back on my life, there are so many markers from the Word that have been foundational to this journey. Though I was never a Trekkie or a fan of Star Trek, I'll give you my captain's log in this faith journey, at least a tidbit. Foundational examples like John 3:16 and Romans 10:9 that I already mentioned. Early on in my faith, Luke 12:48 left or meant a lot to me. To whom much is given, much is required. Likewise, early on Joshua 24:15, for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Moving on then to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord and He will make your paths straight. I'm telling you folks, that is a great passage for your journey as well. Tithing became a part of our budget. Prayer was becoming more important and regular in our lives. And I firmly believe in James chapter 1 that talks about the testing of your faith. Then he goes on in chapter two in talking about the relationship of faith and deeds. I was attending Sunday school classes, teaching youth in Sunday school classes. I was a deacon. I led the Christian education board for a while. I was checking all the boxes. But somewhere along the way, I realized things weren't progressing in my journey. There was still something missing. I was spinning my wheels, if you will. In his book, Experiencing God, I think we did a study, Jill, and some of us way back when, Henry Blackaby puts it this way, practicing religion, but missing God. And from that, I realized I was, I am, living a Christian life, but I need Christ living through me. And religious activity can never substitute for a heart that is pure before him. Which brings me to another marker in my journey, if you will. A big transition was a special walk I went on called the Walk to Emmaus. This was an intense spiritual retreat that covered three full days. John Kern and many others had attended this Walk to Emmaus and encouraged many of us to attend as well back in the 90s. It was after this walk that I became hungrier for change. I had a stronger desire to be in the Word daily, and accountability through share groups became a reality. Over time, then, I experienced a transition where I've realized that faith in the Word and our faith grows through the Word. I don't have time today to mention many of the other markers in the walk to Emmaus, but I do want to mention that the disciple making efforts that we've had here for the last several years are very, very important. And if you haven't already, please consider joining a triad. Following the discipleship path has generated a renewed and deeper emphasis on quiet times for me. And while <clears throat> we all struggle to find the time, and that struggle is real, consider this quote by John Maxwell, who says this, you will never change your life until you change something you do daily. The secret of your success is found in your daily routine. I firmly believe in that. Devotions by authors such as Oswald Chambers and especially this Chris Tigreen I mentioned earlier, have impacted my quiet times greatly as well as disciple making tools like the acronym SOAP and SPEC that we teach here as a part of our programming. And I've recently developed a passion for focusing on the red letters of the New Testament. It is in the red letter sections of the gospels you find words such as astonishing and amazing to describe the faith of the bleeding woman and the centurion, or this past Friday when I read about the Gentile woman whose daughter was demon-possessed. And Gentile was important because Jesus, frankly, was ignoring her. He said he came to preach to the Jews. But she persisted, and Jesus turned to her and said, woman, you have great faith. And then he healed her daughter. How would you like to have that great faith? And not too long ago in the current devotional, the author talks about growing faith and using Psalm 42 as a reference. He says we need to be masters of our minds, not victims. And discouragement and dread are negative forms of faith. True that, true that. And with all of this, still I don't always live the life of faith that I claim. In fact, I've often stated that of all those in the Bible, I can relate most to Peter. Don't get me wrong, I don't feel like I'm on the same level of Peter at all, but I can relate to him. Like Peter, I'm passionate, but that passion can result in impulsive behavior, or in my case, impulsive words that I often regret. And only God knows how many times I've shouted, pick me or I'll do that. And then I take off walking across the water only to sink like a lead balloon. And though I've never lashed out at another man with a sword, I've certainly been known to be a ready, fire, aim kind of guy at times. So like Peter, even though I was not a good person in my past, and I've stumbled mightily after becoming a child of God. God has rescued me from a road of destruction and even used me. Again, my objective here today is not to boast, but hopefully encourage others that God can, He will, and He does use you. You just gotta have faith and act on it. So I keep moving forward. My net message then is this, that with a growing faith, we must experience transformation. Wolfhart Pannenberg says it this way, the evidence for Jesus' resurrection is so strong that nobody would question it except for two things. First, it's an unusual event. And second, if you believe that it happened, you have to change the way you live. Can I repeat that? You have to change the way you live. And that transformation of the heart strengthens the relationship with the one who created us. And I believe faith is a relationship built on the word and its partner, prayer. Again, the word provides much direction on prayer. Many examples are in the Old Testament. And again, go back to the Psalms. Read David. David cries out. David complains. David fusses. But David also gives praise, and David is considered a man after God's own heart. Other samplings that I go to in the New Testament, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Present your requests to God, and he will give you peace. Speaking of prayer, 1 Thessalonians five seventeen, The NIV says, let me find my place here. Pray continually. The message says, pray all the time. In the King James, pray without ceasing. Back to Ephesians, the familiar passage of the armor of God in chapter six, prayer is the only offensive weapon that's mentioned. And it's here where I've learned that praying for others brings me joy and fulfillment. And I hope there are some listening here today that know that I have prayed for you and have that as evidence of the claim I just made. Finally, I can't think of a better place to go to consider and think about prayer than the red letters in John chapter 17. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before, with you, with you, before the world began. Jesus prayed for himself. And then he went on, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus prayed for his disciples. And then, and then this. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and me, folks. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you believe John 3, 16, Jesus prayed for us in this passage. He said, Then the world will know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. The promise of eternal life to be with me where I am, and see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Jesus prayed for all of us. And the last of the trilogy of my journey is love. The world talks about love a lot. It's described in songs, in movies, and of course Hallmark does its best to capture love with Valentine's Day. And then that that wasn't enough, so Sweetest Day was invented to give us yet another chance later in the year, guys, to get it right. Love is a red heart. It's diamonds, it's flowers, it's chocolates. I'm dating myself now, but a famous tagline in a movie from the 70s, Love Story, said this, when Jenny says to her lover, Oliver, love means never having to say you're sorry. Really? After 40 years, Carrie and I know that love means being the first to say, I am sorry. Most of us can relate to forms of love in the human sense, such as a father's love or that of a love husband and wife, or a mother's love, which in my case and many others, I believe for most of us is the greatest love we will experience other than God. But the word has a lot to say, of course, about love, In his first letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul spends an entire chapter first on spiritual gifts. Then he kind of sets things up in the last verse of chapter 12. And the message translation puts it this way in verse 31 of 12. And yet some of you keep competing for the so-called important parts. But I now want to lay out a far better way for you. Flip the page to chapter 13. And Paul gives us the way of love. Again, familiar uh, comments and phrases I'm sure you've heard. Love never gives up. It cares for others more than self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. It doesn't strut. It isn't always me first. It doesn't fly off the handle. It trusts God always. And love keeps us going to the end. And finally, the punchline in chapter 13 is verse 13 in my overall theme of the message today. And Paul says this, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. That's where I wanna bring my conclusion that love trumps all, including hope and faith, and then more red letters to validate things and confirm any doubts you might have. After being asked, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus replied with this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. But he didn't stop there. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Leave it to Jesus to keep it simple. Might I say Jesus invented the kiss principle? Love God and love others. I said simple or not complicated, but I didn't say it isn't difficult. We know it is not easy to love like Jesus, but two ways that help are these. Get to know him, and to know him is to love him. A a love relationship with none other than the creator of the universe. And then know his will, and do what he says. Pastor Rick's gonna resume his series on knowing God's will next week. Tune in. And the Bible has a lot more to say about how to love in God's eyes. I've highlighted just a few examples from Jesus himself. Remember the forgiveness of the woman. Not a good woman at the well. Or how about when he prophesied to Peter first, kind of slaps him upside the head and says, you're going to deny me three times. But then Jesus gave him a vote of confidence. He changed his name to The Rock because he knew what Peter was going to become. And there are countless examples of Jesus where he displays his commitment to prayer. And then, of course, before he went to the cross, he bowed down with a towel in his hand and a basin, and wash the feet of his disciples. Truly an act of love. There are more teachings, of course, in the New Testament about love. Paul talks about love in action in uh, Romans 12. And then there's Galatians 5, and 23. We know that as the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit that comes when we live and love God's way. Another example of simplicity is the stockade prayer that we recite in brigade regularly. It says, Lord, our Savior, guiding captain, be a solid wall around us. Make us all courageous servants. Help us grow to be like Jesus. The goal then of this journey I am on, and my recommendation is to pray to grow like Jesus, to be like Jesus, excuse me. So then here's the conclusion from a man on a journey of hope faith and love. Actually, I believe the love that we seek is best stated, again, in red letters, and I hope we can see that, okay, barely. It is finished. From John, we read those words, John 19.30, and this is where I contend, or believe, in the journey of life True love is the finish line, and to love like Jesus is the destination. God has loved, excuse me used me to love others in many ways, including Brigade, speaking at funerals, and he has brought many to carry in me over the years to help and to love on. In fact, just a few months ago, he brought my great-niece to our home to come and live with us. And as far as loving God, I continue to strive each and every day to love God more, to love God most, and to love God first. Again, I'm not a preacher. and I'm not a teacher of the word. But hopefully, I've been an example and will be an example of what God can do when I tell my story. No. His story, and to him be the glory. What is your story?
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.callroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a K, A-R-L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Carl Road Baptist Church, and don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that, so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.